Coming up on this week's show, Suzanne Brockman returns to tell us how she made sure her son could see himself in her books. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knauss. Welcome, everyone, to episode 102 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Jeff from JeffAdamsWrites.com. And I'm Will from WillKanaus.com. This week's episode is brought to you in part by listeners just like you. We'll have a little more information on how you can help support this show in just a few minutes. Welcome back, sir. Welcome back to you. How are you? I'm good. Another week, another show. Woohoo! So, before we actually get started this week, uh, we do want to uh, take note of something that happened in the past week. Uh, news came out on September 12th that LGBTQ rights activist Edith Windsor had passed away at the age of 88. Now, for those who don't know, uh, Edie worked passionately and tirelessly throughout her life to support the LGBTQ community and fought tenaciously for LGBTQ rights. Uh, in 2013, she famously paved the way for marriage equality with her victory in the United States Supreme Court when it struck down Section 3 of the so-called Defense of Marriage Act, allowing same-sex couples to have the benefits and protections of marriage deserved under federal law. Uh, the most poignant legacy that Edie leaves behind is that of love and dignity. Um, and that's very much demonstrated by Edie and Thea Spire's 42-year engagement. Uh, Thea proposed to Edie in 1967 with a circular diamond brooch rather than a ring, which would allow Edie to avoid questions about the engagement in her workplace. Edie and Thea were married in Toronto in uh, May of 20, 2007, and when Thea passed in 2009, uh, it was the U.S. government's refusal to recognize their marriage after Thea's death that led to Edie's lawsuit and eventual victory in the United States versus Windsor on June 26, 2013. So we do thank Edie. Uh, for her work in her life. and uh... I think you just want to say that Edie was a remarkable woman. And kind and strong, and the world is definitely a better place for having her in it. Now, I know you've been busy this past week. You are still in editing mode. Edit, 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 edit. That's where it's all I do, is edit. Yeah, Wigger 2 is still in edits. Uh, I'm due to send that back on Monday. And mere seconds before we push the record button for this episode... Uh, hockey player's heart dropped back into our inbox for another round of edits that we have to turn back by Friday. Good God, the editing will never stop. Nope, it never will end. We can never have books that align at the same time again. <laughs> never, ever, ever, ever. It's awful. Would you like to give congratulations to somebody? I certainly would. Congrats to Wax Apple Lover. She is the winner, she or he, uh, is the winner of the $100 Dream Spinner gift card that we gave out on our 100th episode. Mm -hmm. uh, thanks again to Dream Spinner for donating that as part of that very special episode. Yes, thank you, Dream Spinner. So now it's the part of our show where we tell you all about the groovy things that Patreon does for us. Mm -hmm. In fact, just before we started recording this episode, we recorded the very special bonus episode for the month of September. Uh, very special episode specifically for our Patreon members. Now, if you would like to help support the Big Gay Fiction Podcast with a monthly pledge through Patreon, we certainly encourage you to do so. You can do <laughs> that uh, by going to the website, patreon.com, and for as little as $25 an episode, your pledge helps pay for the 
uh, costs of producing and distributing this podcast. And for those fans who pledge at the silver and gold levels, you'll have the exclusive opportunity to ask questions of our upcoming guests. Mm-hmm. And all patrons have the option to have a personalized thank you sent directly to them. Uh, By a good old snail mail. I know. Crazy. Getting mail Getting mail in the mailbox. What? A yep. card with a stamp on it and everything. <laughs> now, you can find out more on how you can help support this show. Just go to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash biggayfictionpodcast. Hockey players Simon Roberts and Alex Miller never could have known that the moment they first kissed, they were embarking on the love of a lifetime. The Hat Trick box set is their love story, as told by Simon, beginning their senior year of high school, through college graduation, and beyond, from the insecurity of coming out to mentorship of gay youth. For Simon and Alex, it's always about love, family, and hockey. The box set includes three full-length novels and three short stories in one easy-to-download ebook. Get yours today at Amazon.com and other online retailers. Now, this past week, you sampled a brand new podcast. I did. It was. It's one of those things that just ended up in the mailbox, uh, much like books do periodically. Uh, the Love and Luck uh, podcast is a fictional radio play uh, told via voicemails. We learn about Kane and Jason and the story of of the love that blossoms. Uh, the first show actually is their phone messages back and forth to each other after the first night that they went out, which is kind of fun. Now, the official blurb on this podcast is that this is the story of two men who fall in love, learn that they have magic powers, and use those powers to support and protect their community. It's made for people who like healthy relationships and happy endings. And don't we all like happy endings for our romances? Uh, Love and Luck's goal is to bring a few minutes of warmth and happiness to listeners once a week. Now, I got the opportunity to listen to the first four episodes, and these are very nice little nuggets. I think the longest episode was around 10 minutes. So you get just a snippet in each episode of, of these guys and their burgeoning relationship. I haven't gotten to the magic powers part yet in the first four episodes, so I don't know where that's going. Uh, but the chemistry between Kane and Jason is so adorable in these emails as they go through like, I feel bad that I'm, you know, only listening to your voicemails, but I really like getting the voicemails. It's like finding a package from the post on your doorstep and you get to open it and hear what it says and stuff. Um, in the early days of the relationship, we find out that one loves to go clubbing, but another one loves cake. <laughs> I would rather stay home and have cake. Um, the back and forth is adorable, and I wasn't sure how I would like the the voicemail back and forth that they have. But it's really quite adorable, and it's really quite ingenious to me as a, as a storytelling device, how they worm the certain character. You, you learn... Th- stuff about them through these voicemails that you would expect just to get out of narrative somewhere, but it's actually being told to you in the context of a voicemail and how smoothly and easily that works without standing stilted. So kudos on the writing for that as well. Uh, The podcast uh, was created by Aaron, I think Aaron Kyan might be how you pronounce that. Sorry if I butchered that. Uh, Who also voices Jason on the show. Uh, He is a queer, disabled trans man who lives in St. Kilda, 
uh, which is actually where most of the podcast takes place down in Australia. Uh, and he lives with his partner and co-producer, Lee. Uh, Aaron uh, created the show as a writing exercise initially for stress relief and as a power fantasy. So, fun on that. Uh, Love and Luck premieres this coming Tuesday, September 19th. Uh, the episodes are due to drop at uh, 8 o'clock Australian time, which translates to 6 a.m. Eastern time and 11 a.m. in the U.K., uh, it's due to be out on all the major podcasting outlets, and the first three episodes will drop this Tuesday. So you, I've only heard one more than the rest of you have the opportunity to hear. Check it out. It's really fun, and I want to try and get Aaron on the show to talk about how he went about creating this story that's structured in a very different way from how we're used to getting uh, to, to getting our gay romances, because they're just different narrative style, which fascinates me uh, as an author as well. Um, so yeah, check it out. Uh, you can get more on the show at loveandluckpodcast.com. And then, of course, we'll put that in the show notes as well. Cool. Yeah. Now, not too long ago, we sampled a new movie um, that we want to recommend and tell you all about. It's called Handsome Devil. It is an Irish film that came out last year. And it is essentially a... Uh, uh, gay coming out, uh, coming of age sports story. Um, it kind of mashes all of those uh, different mm -hmm. subgenres together. And it is the story of Ned. Ned is our main protagonist, and he is the sort of out artsy uh, kid at school who gets um, uh, bullied and harassed by the uh, other guys uh, in school uh, until one day uh, he gets a new roommate. Uh, his name is Connor, and Connor is the tall, handsome, mysterious guy who transfers in, and he is actually an incredibly good rugby player, and he is the one guy who can save the school's rugby program. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I love this movie to pieces. Uh, I think it's really well done. Uh, and it is, as I, as I mentioned before, it is primarily a mashup of different, um, movie subgenres and tropes that we've all seen, you know, a hundred times. But I think what this movie excels at is kind of maybe not, uh, uh not necessarily presenting them in a new way, but presenting them in a very heartfelt way mm -hmm. uh thanks in part to the performances from the two two main actors who play ned and connor uh the movie also um primarily deals with their sort of um their friendship uh and how they both seem so very different but they are actually far more alike than they could have originally imagined mm -hmm. um and also there are themes of finding your own true voice and speaking out with honesty and, and clarity uh you mentioned there's there's also actually an english teacher who uh encourages all the boys to speak out uh with their truth voice uh and unfortunately this teacher uh, can talk the talk, but he can't walk the walk. Yeah, <laughs> essentially. Um, <laughs> uh, and you you mentioned there are there are certain overtones of Dead Poets Society without the tragic ending, of course. Yes. Um, but uh, I really uh, 
love this movie an awful, awful lot. It ends with the big rugby match, uh, like sports movies usually do, uh, and... I really, really liked it an awful lot. I know that my summary just now was kind of all over the map. Uh, can you clarify for the listeners at home? Can I clarify <laughs> as the one who often gives the worst descriptions ever? Oh, come on. What did uh, you like the most about the movie? What didn't I like about the movie? Yeah, I mean, I mean it's really, from, really good. From the moment you meet Ned as he's being taken back to boarding school... Um, you can't help but root for him and want him to succeed. And I really like how Ned owns himself. Yes, he does. He's never trying to shy away or hide the fact of who he is, even though he does not always use an authentic voice uh, for very humorous reasons. Um, <laughs> I thought it was. It felt very organic and genuine, and not forced, which I liked a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, I would have maybe liked a little more about Connor's backstory and what went down in his previous boarding school that led him to here. Like, maybe a heart-to-heart -heart with Ned at some point to discuss that. But <laughs> it wasn't really that story. Uh, I really, really liked the Dead Poets Society overtones. Uh, Dead Poets is one of my very favorite films. Uh, because I had a strong English teacher like that. Um, and to see one presented in this film, especially in such a sports-heavy film, because that is often... Uh, that that struck me as a very U.S. sort of storyline, because especially when you look in the South, where sports rules and academics can occasionally take a backseat for the athletes. So... There, I like that dynamic between the English teacher and the rather insane rugby coach, who was also really hot at the same time. <laughs> you just liked his Irish beard. I did like his Irish beard. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> I think what was most remarkable about this particular movie is that unlike other um, school-based coming-of-age romances like uh, Beautiful Thing or Get Real... Um, there is no romance in this particular film between Ned and Connor, who are the only two gay guys at school. Um, it's really about their friendship and navigating um, the truth of that and what it means to be a, a good, supportive friend. Mm -hmm. As I think that's what makes this particular movie so special. Yeah, there's not really a push to get them together as a couple. Nope. Um Maybe it goes that way after the film, but I think they stay good friends forever, personally. So yeah, highly recommend uh, Handsome Devil, which is currently streaming on Netflix. Want to be among the first to know what's coming up on the Big Gay Fiction Podcast? Join the Big Gay Fiction Podcast monthly newsletter. As a subscriber, you'll get our exclusive coloring pages that you can download and color. You can even send us your artistic creations and we'll display them in our online gallery. Go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com and sign up on the homepage. So among the comments we got uh, from the 100th episode when we asked people what their favorite 
uh, interviewer moments were from that first batch of episodes was a number of people picked uh, the ones that we had with Suzanne Brockman, Ed Gaffney, and Jason T. Gaffney Mm -hmm. talking about their collaboration. And we got to talk to Suze again uh, just a few weeks ago Mm -hmm. and find out about her history. Uh, I love that interview that we did. Mm -hmm. Uh, Suzanne, as always, is a dream. A dream interview. She's (laughs) always lovely to talk to. Uh, This time around, we talk about uh, essentially her writer's journey and how she's managed to um, create uh, honest, truthful gay characters in her books and how she sort of uh, snuck them past the uh, con- her conservative readership uh, to make them uh, some of the most uh, beloved characters that she's created uh, in her long-running series. Well, welcome back to the podcast, New York Times best-selling romantic suspense author Suzanne Brockman. Suze was last on the show alongside her husband, Ed Gaffney, and son, Jason T. Gaffney, in episodes 89 and 90, where they talked about the California comedy series that they work on together. This time out, we've asked Suze back to talk more about her career and her longtime goal to make sure her son can see himself in her books. Welcome back, Suze. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So, do you want to go down memory lane before we start off and show off our Suzanne Brockman collection? Yeah, I was... (laughs) I was just thinking that anyone who has been reading romance for any period of time most likely has at least one Suzanne Brockman book somewhere on their shelf. Um, when, when was your first book published? It came out in 1993. There you go. There you go. Yeah. You've been doing That's this a long, long time. Um, so yeah. I thought we would take a quick uh, look back, a little walk down memory lane. <laughs> Uh, these are some of the books of yours that we have here on our shelves. The first one is, of course, All Through the Night. Uh, uh, we'll yes. be talking about Robin and Jules in uh, a few minutes. Um, okay. This came out 10 years ago. Oh, um, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It's the 10th anniversary <laughs> of All Through the Night. Uh, amazing book, everyone. We're going to be talking about this a little more in depth uh, in a few minutes. Also, we have uh, Infamous, a more recent cowboy book. Uh, yeah. Look at those forearms! <laughs> Woohoo! That's a great cover. Um, <laughs> I, uh, not I too... <laughs> have nothing to do with it, but thank you. <laughs> um, recently, Jeff and I were actually at a library book sale, uh, and we picked up a few of your older titles. Oh! Uh, one of them was uh, Silhouette Romantic Suspense, uh, Undercover Princess. Oh yeah, that actually won a Rita Award. Uh, it was part of a continuity series that, like, princesses were looking for their missing prince brother and, <laughs> uh, and me with a bunch of other authors. And, and yeah, and, and, and yeah, yeah. Amazing, yeah. It sounds yeah. really good. Um, the last one I want to show, um, I think, is a bit dubious. I'm sure the book is lovely. I've read the blurb and I can't wait to read it. But this cover really caught my eye. <laughs> um, oh, it it's, is it's, a love-swept called oh, The Kissing Game. Oh, yes. Now, for those of you on our video feed, you can see this cover. I'm going to try and describe it. It it has a sort of a grandma floral wallpaper border. Mm-hmm. And front and center is this black and white picture of a, a guy I assume is supposed to represent the hero. And he's not that bad looking, but I there's something about the picture... Um, he reminds me of the the guy that comes uh, 
in a in a frame when you buy one at Target. Yes. <laughs> Funny, funny about that, yeah. And you know, um, I did a number of love swaps with yeah. similar covers, uh-huh. and that guy is way better than the guy who's smelling bad fish. No. Like, oh my gosh! <laughs> but those called forbidden, and man, there's like he's he's either having intestinal distress or. Aww. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. That was back in the day, early in my career, where um, I would get the cover art and I would um, kind of gulp and say, well, thanks for thanks for the cover. Glad glad you're publishing my book. And and, um, so, yeah, yeah. Back in the day. Yeah, that was, yeah. The grandfather is. That one with the black and white picture. When I saw that, I'm like, it looked like somebody put like a Hollywood promo shot of some kind on it like that's an actor going you know yeah yeah for some movies it was um i'm thinking that was probably late 90s um it's actually a rom-com that's really fun there's i wrote this this trilogy of of um of rom-coms um Mm -hmm. that are all set in this fictional island in florida and um it's what it's that little series is one of my favorite series I'm i'm trying to get the rights back um so i can reissue them with um I mean, they've been reissued with, with different covers, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and, you know, romance covers just never, never you go. Never know. <laughs> you never know. So you've been writing for a while. I wanted to ask, I'm not sure if we got to this in our uh, previous interview, what has drawn you to romantic suspense? That's kind of your bread and butter, really, right? That's. That's actually, you know, it was really interesting. I did, I did a workshop at RWA just um, last month, um, mm-hmm. all about reinvention yeah. and how, um, how as a writer, um, sometimes um, you you dig within to reinvent yourself, and sometimes you are forced to reinvent yourself because of um, the 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 way that the world is is kind of hitting you. <laughs> and um, I considered, I started my career um, thinking that I was a rom-com author. Mm-hmm. And um, and I wrote my, a bunch of, probably about 10 romantic comedies. And in the course of writing 10 romantic comedies, I wrote a, maybe one or two, well, I certainly wrote at least one romantic suspense, just to shake things up a little bit. And um, that is the book that Silhouette Intimate Moments bought first, mm-hmm. and um, from that moment on, they, I, you know, I was like, here, check out my rom-coms, and they rejected every single one of them. It wasn't until I sent in another romantic suspense that we had book two, and um, and I kind of went gulp. I guess I'm a romantic suspense <laughs> yeah, author. Yeah. Here we go, <laughs> and and um, so you know, so it's really so so I've been kind of. Um, uh, I'm, uh, throughout my career, I've I have definitely um, brought elements of comedy into my books. In fact, I I would call them you, you know action adventure dramedies. Mm-hmm. If you really want to try to pigeonhole me into uh, you know uh, into a kind of a, um, a, a, a subgenre, um, it's. I, I really like group dynamics, and and so I tend to write books about groups of people who have to solve a conflict together and how they go about that. But, and there's a lot of interper- interpersonal actions and, and deal, working with other people. And how do, how do you do that? How do you get along with somebody to solve a problem if you don't quite like them or how, if you like them too much or, you know, so, um, so, so a lot of my books really, um, aren't, 
really romantic suspense, but there, but that's the genre that um, that I kind of made my name in, and that's that's how they they get presented and and marketed by the by the publishers. So you know, it's kind of it's kind of interesting. Now you um, mentioned that it was ninety three that you started, yep. and of course you've got your book Future Perfect, and it was yes. back then you were told that you actually couldn't have even a minor secondary character who was gay. That's right. That's right. I wrote the book, um, and it was set in a small town in Western Mass. My original title for the book is Bed, bed and Breakfast, and it's about this young woman who runs a bed and be- breakfast, and she's, um, you know, she's she's a member of the community, and um, and her best friend is the sister of the town sheriff, and uh, the town sheriff happens to be a gay man, and he's he's got a partner, and 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 he plays a small but pivotal role in the story. He's you know he's an on page character and he um he's funny he's witty he's charming he's you know he's all the things that that he should he needs to be for the book and um and in my initial um revision phone call after the book was bought it was the first book it was um bought by um meteor publishing (laughs) yeah yeah, meteor publishing Hmm, what is wrong with that name well they my book was the last book they ever published they um they they'd done a They'd done hundreds of category romances before I sold to them, and um, but Harlequin Silhouette kind of crushed them and bought them out, and um, and they stopped publishing. But yeah, my book, my first book was their last book, which was you know, hey, publishing one hundred and one, right? <laughs> um, but that that initial phone call was just such a, it was so weird because here I was, okay, so what is it? It's um, it's it's probably ninety two, so I'm thirty two years old. I'm this you know young woman. My son is seven. Um, he's clearly he's clearly gay because you know I mean you know I mean I I see him and um and 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 I'm thinking why. I can't have a gay character in a in a romance novel, and and her her response was um, that they would they would get angry letters, and um, and I thought that's not okay. <laughs> I mean, it's not okay to not have characters in my in that but not to not write the book I want to write with the characters I want to write, and and um, but at that point I was really very powerless. Um, I went along with it. it. It, you know, I bit my tongue and I changed the character. Um, but and it, and, but it stayed with me. The idea that my son is growing up in a world where his presence isn't welcome as a secondary character in a in a love in a you know funny little ro- romance novel like that's we got to do something about that. And um, and I and I kind of approached my career from that point on as um, as pushing the edge of the envelope and seeing, can I, okay, so that publisher doesn't want gay characters. I'm just going to just keep having them show up and, and I'm going to wait for, I'm going to wait to be told to take them out and um, and there's going to come a point where I'm going to say no, where where I'm going to say that my line is, is, you know what, I'll find another publisher who wants to to publish my books and, and is willing to, to um have them as I'm writing them with my my realistic, diverse, and lovely world. And um, so, so um, my first book 
uh, my first book in the Tall, Dark, and Dangerous series, which uh, was Prince Joe, was uh, my first Navy SEAL series that I wrote for uh, Silhouette Intimate Moments. Um, the heroine has a brother who's gay, and um, and he was not an on-page character, so she she talks about him with the hero, and she loves him, and she's um, you know unconditional in her um, support of him, um, and um, and that was okay. We, he got to stay in the book. And it was like, okay, so now what am I going to do? How am I going to push this a little bit further? So now at least we can at least mention that we have gay people in our lives that we love. Now how do we, how do, where do we go from here? And so I kind, of, I kind of just, every time I was writing a book, I tried to get a little more, um, I, I tried to push a little bit harder. And, and my, um, my mission statement applied to um, characters of color too. One of the first things that I noticed when I, when I was um, first starting out writing romance um, in the early, so 1990 through 92, when I was just like kind of, kind of learning what, what was a romance novel for the nineties? What, what it was different from the, you know, the, the books that I, that my mother was reading in the seventies. Um, and, um, and one of the things I noticed that, 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 Besides the fact that he, that the heroes had often had um, names like Chance and Trey and you know and Rain and you know like and like can't we have a hero named Joe like like Joe's a really good name um, but but I noticed that everybody lived in in Whitelandia where they were they were straight they were Christian and they were white and um, and and I thought that's not the world I live in there I live in you know I'm in I'm in the urban Boston area and and um, there's there's a lot of different people on my street and they they and I want to write a book about a guy named Joe <laughs> and a guy named Hank and a guy named Irving and a guy you know and on and and a heroine named Jane and and um, and 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 have the world look like my world and um, and so that was I was always pushing to do that and uh, and again I got a lot of um, you know the the sidekick was Asian in a book I wrote uh, uh, for Silhouette um, it was they, they called it love with the proper stranger and um, and the FBI hero had a had a sidekick and uh, he was Asian and and I got the message from the powers that be that said well um, if you you need to you need to change him because you won't be asked to write a, his a sequel if in if he's Asian. <laughs> I mean, they worded it. I mean, they, I, I think I'm probably not wording it. I mean, they were a little more careful in their wording. Make him make him more different. You know, make him a little bit different so that you can write the sequel. And you know, and I and I was like, nope. And they did not want the sequel. And and it was just so it was really you know so this was the 90s and and um and romance was pretty different back then. But we it needed authors to push that envelope to to keep like saying to say no to say you know what I'm gonna write a book with african-american characters and and um, and and main characters and you know like and at the time you know that was that was something um, so yeah so so the the you know I was driven a lot by my desire for um, for Jason to grow up in a world that um, didn't prohibit him from existing in a romance novel um, so well, you, so, yeah. uh, you yeah. finally got that in like in 2001 by the time he was a teenager. Um, yeah, 
Yeah, although it was it was pretty um, interesting ground to, to be treading on, you know, and I, I, I got really lucky. I, I connected with um, my editor at Ballantine Books um, when I started writing my Troubleshooter series, and, um, and she was completely on board for my diverse universe, and... Um, and and that was that support was really important, you know. To, I didn't I didn't have to go into battle with every single book that I was writing just because um, of the you know whatever angry letters they imagined they were going to get, which is just. <laughs> what was your genesis for Jules, who you introduced in Troubleshooters Number Two? Yeah, um, I. I knew that I wanted to write a character. I knew that, first of all, I knew that my um, I was writing military romantic suspense, and I knew that my readership was incredibly um, they skewed very um, socially conservative, um, and um, and taking what I knew about my readers, um, I I and I I knew that that they probably lived in parts of the country where being out was um, probably very dangerous. So they knew gay people, but they probably didn't know that they knew gay people. And, um, and what I decided to do was I decided to, was to write them a gay best friend. And um, and I created Jules Cassidy and and gave and gave him to them and um, and created him. He was originally he walked onto the page as um, as Alyssa Locke, one of my major um, secondary characters, who was going to ha- who had a story arc that that went throughout the series. Um, she was a woman of color, an FBI agent, a former Navy sharpshooter, and um, and I planned out her romance with one of um, my kind of popular Navy SEAL characters, guy, Sam Starrett, he's from Texas, he's, um, he starts off the series kind of homophobic and, and ignorant, very ignorant, smart guy, but definitely ignorant, and, um, and so I, I, I gave Alyssa a partner in the FBI, who was this, um, really adorable, (laughs) uh, witty, um, gay man. So I basically, I basically followed the rules of um, witty gay sidekick, right? That's that's um, you know it's, it was earlier in literature, gay people were the serial killers. So witty gay sidekick is a step up, right? I think we can all agree <laughs> that. I mean, it's not perfect. Um, and but but it included witty gay sidekick is of course um, asexual. So you get to be fabulous, and um, I mean you guys know this, right? Um, but but don't have sex. Um, and so but that's how I introduced Jules, like very very safe and um and so in the in the first book that he's in the defiant hero he he shows up he's fabulous he makes people laugh um and he meets the team of seals and sam reacts to him in a homophobic way and um and Alyssa then creates a conflict between him and Alyssa because Alyssa so I kind of gave readers a a choice of kind of characters to relate to they could either be Sam with his like who's that scary gay guy I don't know him I need to be careful around him I don't trust him or Alyssa who is um is the you know best friends with with the scary gay guy and um and and throughout the, the series, I basically planned out my my journey for Jules and Sam to become really good friends because it's all about getting to know me, right? It's about it's about um, become like not like putting a putting a, a, a face to 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 a 
uh, a stereotype and, and to killing the stereotype by the reality of here I'm talking to a person. And, um, and so I let, I let Sam take that journey in real time through the books. And so, for example, um, so in Defiant Hero, he meets Jules and he's like, scary gay guy, don't turn my back on him. You know, all the stupid, stupid things that, that um, homophobes say when they, they meet somebody. But Jules is an um, incredibly skilled FBI agent. He's, in, he's hero material. He's this incredible um, heroic guy. And um, and he's a he's a a great partner to to the seal to the seals in the seal team and um, so so throughout the books you know the next book um, it's a over the edge it's a takedown of a hijacked airplane and um, and Jules is on the scene again with Alyssa and um, and he and Sam have a have a moment kind of bonding over their um, their affection for Alyssa and. And their friendship starts to grow. And Sam finds out in that book that Jules has a live-in lover. And, and he gets to react to that. And, and, we, and, and it's like, oh, wait a minute. So Jules maybe isn't, isn't, isn't the asexual sidekick, but it's off page. It's nice and safe for the readers. Um, and so then in the next book, um, we find out more about Jules. And we find out that, um, and we and Sam find out that, um, that Adam has left Jules and broken his heart just like Sam's heart has been broken by Alyssa and it's and Sam has this moment of oh Jules really loved this guy and it's something that he hadn't thought about before about that being gay isn't isn't is is about being a person and falling in love and 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 so 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 I let my readers take the journey with Sam and and learn about Jules and and throughout throughout this journey, um, Jules is a skilled FBI agent who always saves the day. And if I needed to have a character come in, you know, Deus Ex Machina, here I come to save the day. It was always Jules. It's like, and my message to the readers was was okay. Here's this out gay FBI agent. Is he heroic enough for you yet? How about now? How about now? You know. So and I and I really and I it was there are times for subtlety in our in our books and there's times where you just like let it go with a sledgehammer. And so you'll if you if you read the entire Troubleshooter series, Jules keeps showing up with the sledgehammer um, and and being that that incredible romance hero who just happens to be gay and um and so yeah so we progressed to the point and you know it so so while this was while I was writing these books um I was going out on book tours I was doing the whole you know the the publisher was always sending sending me to Ohio so I'd be in middle America <laughs> in in you know red states and conservative places and um and I'd walk into the bookstore we'd do a Q&A and I I can tell you it was so gratifying like the first one of the first questions I was always asked was will we see more of Jules Cassidy in the next book and readers love this this character character. It, 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 it was just so gratifying to, to, um, to recognize that, um, that it was, that it was working, that I was, that I was giving readers, um, this character to relate to on a way that maybe they hadn't stopped to think about before. And, um, and by the time that I wrote Jules's, I gave him a, um, uh, you know, romantic connection with Robin and it takes, you know, there's a kiss in Hot Target. And we, you know, when that came out, what year was that? That was like, um, I want to say 2003, maybe. Um, we were, we honestly didn't know because of the subplot in Hot Target, which is, which is Jules meets Robin and, and they, 
kiss <laughs> and have and do things that people do when they're attracted to each other and um we didn't know if if we would get reviewed by the major review sites because because of this and um and we and we were which was really which was really great but we you know we went into it knowing you know we just don't know we really don't know and um and one of the things that that i did when hot target came out um was i was ready for you know how all the publishers are always saying you know we'll get angry letters um yeah you know you get one starred you get angry letters um but but I was ready for the the letters of appreciation the letters of affection to jewels and and I knew there'd be just just um literally thousands of emails that I'd be getting from readers who were so happy to see jewels finally get some action <laughs> on the page of the book and um and I collected them I redacted the personal information from the people who sent them to me and I put them into um into a uh a collection that I printed out because I wanted the I wanted this um, I wanted this the heft of this many pages I mean we're, we're talking thousands of emails and I wanted it to land on my publisher's desk so I so I bound it you know I went to Staples and did one of those chinko like bind <laughs> back in the day you're binding things and I and I sent it to my I sent it to my publisher my to my editor to a bunch of people at, at over at Random House um, and because I wanted it to land on their desk with a bang um, to counter anything that they might be hearing from the screechy um, shrill um, people who hate, um, and it was very effective. It really was, and it 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 um, it, it kind of uh, kind of kept going. But um, but yeah. So my so my goal was to was to um, to give these readers who maybe didn't who were ignorant about what it meant to be gay. I wanted to, to, to give them Jules and, and I wanted them to think about what was going to happen when Jules won his happily ever after in his book. And shouldn't he have the right to get married just like every other romance hero? And, um, and yeah, the, the response was overwhelmingly positive from from readers I you know the the kind of standard email that I've gotten is um, I never really thought about it before and I never really gave it I it just it I didn't think you know and, and now I believe that everyone should have the right to be married and it's just like yes <laughs> and and um, so, so that was that was kind of that was that was extremely cool it was that but the journey was was carefully thought out um, and and uh, and planned again, so so that the world could be more welcoming for for my son and for people that I loved. <laughs> so, I have to ask about Hot Target since that's the book where Jules and and Robin got together. Did you approach that in any way differently than you would have a hero heroine scenario and bringing man and woman together? Or did you write the scenes in the same way that you would have, so you weren't pulling punches with the audience? Um, well, I was. Remember that my that my um, my mission statement was to change hearts and minds, um, and so I knew I had to tread really carefully and and um, and focus on the emotional rather than the um, the explicit. Uh, uh, um, 
Well, for, well, for example, in Hot Target, there's there's no, there's not a sex scene between Jules and Robin. Would I have? And it's but it, yes, I guess you know, I guess I did. I I guess I did approach it differently. Um, because so much of their story was was Robin's realization that that he is gay, and and um, and his he's playing a gay character in a movie. He's exploring what it, what that means as a as an actor playing a character, and he um, comes bumping up against his very real feelings for Jules, and. Um, um, so, so yeah, so I, you know, I mean, I was, I, I was very careful through, throughout the, the process of writing these subplots to, um, to make sure that my readers, um, stayed with me, the, the people who might be, um, who were maybe hesitant to, um, to, to think about gay people as equals um and because i'm because what, what i was really trying to do was to show that love is love is love is love <laughs> and um and and focus again on the on the emotional sameness of mm. of of the relationship so um so yeah so i tread very carefully you know in um it was uh it was the book that jules and robin first have sex is force of nature and um and I definitely pulled the gauze over the camera lens um, for for those scenes. Um, and it was it was, uh, you know, I got I got a lot of um, pushback from um, from the readers who were ready for for that, who were ready to 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 read male male romance. And and um, and and I, you know, I I I had to make a choice. And I um, and since my 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 goal again was to um, was to bring people. I wasn't preaching to the choir. I was I was trying to change hearts and minds. And um, and I um, I wish I could have. I wish I could have written it the, it the way I wanted to write it. Um, uh, but I but I really had to be careful because I didn't want to lose those readers. And I wanted them to finish the book and to think love is love is love and mm. and um and then move on from there hopefully um to to other books that that had um that had gay characters and and uh so uh so yeah so it was a very it was careful and it was it was definitely um it was definitely a choice and it was um you know it's kind of it's sad that i had to that i had to do it that way you know but but the world is really different now and um and i feel pretty confident that that doing what i did i helped kick in the door so mm-hmm. and you got them married in 2007 with all through the night that we showed earlier in yeah. the podcast which of course in that book as we talked about in the last show earned a lot of money for uh the fight for marriage equality in massachusetts Yep, I gave my entire advance. Actually, the book is the rights to the book are belong to Mass Equality in perpetuity, and um, and I was able to give them a six figure advance, um, and they they used the money quite well. We were <laughs> we were fighting really hard to to keep marriage rights in Massachusetts at that point, and um, and I wanted to. <laughs> uh, I think I said as I said I um, I wanted to. 
I wanted to write a book like my publisher had been pressuring me for both a holiday book and a wedding book. And, and it was like, OK, well, here's a wedding that I really want to write about. And um, and Robin and Jules got to get married. And it was it was lovely. Ten years ago, man, their 10 year anniversary is this year. That's exciting. <laughs> Have to like mark it in some way. It is the ten year anniversary. What are Jules and Robin up to today? Oh man, you know I've done a, I've done a number of short stories with them. Um, I um, I hope to bring them back in the Troubleshooter series. You know I'm kind of at a crossroads in terms of what I'm doing next with my career. Um, I'm looking hard at um, at indie publishing and and kind of going out on my own. And um, I'd love to write. A Jules and Robin mystery series. I think um, I think that could be really fun. You know, like little episodic um, adventures for them to go on. Um, but I I'm definitely not done with them as as characters. Um, uh, so uh, so yeah. So you'll see you'll definitely see more of them. I promise. <laughs> and speaking of troubleshooters, troubleshooters nineteen came out a couple months ago. <laughs> Yeah, can just yeah, one yeah, in July, yep. Yeah. yeah. So tell us what's going on in some kind of hero. And there it is right there. Well, um this is this is I my it's a Navy SEAL hero. Um and my heroine is a romance novelist, which was really fun to write. I got to kind of explore um what it means to be a writer um in a way that I haven't before. Um and um, and yeah, it's 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 a it's a story about family, about the families that we are born into, and the families that we make by the people we keep around us. Um, and uh, um, and yeah, it's just it's 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 a, it's one of these romps. It's an action adventure uh, dramedy that that. Uh, that I think is, uh, I think it's, I, I feel it's one of the best things I've ever written. So, um, so it's been quite well received and I'm, I'm happy about that. Nice. And we should mention too, kind of going back to Future Perfect that we were talking about, you're going to re-release that and yes. actually put it back together like you'd originally envisioned that sheriff. I am. I am. I just got the rights. The rights just reverted to this book. I'm going to be putting out a, um, a reissue. And um, yeah, my my town sheriff is going to be the town sheriff that I wrote in that original in that original book. There's not. not I'm not going to change a lot because I because again I just kind of closeted him in in my when I made the change. I was really I was a little bit. Um, uh, well, I was certainly miffed about having to de-gay him, and and I was like, well, okay, everyone will know. <laughs> no, he's so so yeah, but I but I am gonna make him him his true self again, and that's so that's really exciting. So that that'll probably come out in a couple months. I'll probably have that ready to go. But yeah, I'm psyched about that. Nice. It only took 25 years to pull it back out of the closet. <laughs> Thank God the world is different. Oh, please let the world keep being different. <laughs> So, with Ed and Jason doing gay romantic comedies together, have you considered, I mean, you mentioned Jules and Robin perhaps having a mystery series as an idea. Do you see more gay romantic fiction in your future? Oh, absolutely. I've, I have, um, 
there's a story that I want to write. Um, um, it is, I want, it's a, it's category romance ish, but it's romantic suspenses at the same time. I've got, I've got it pretty much all plotted out. The hero, the heroes, um, one is a police detective and the other is, um, a bounty hunter. <laughs> and, um, and there's a serial killer on the loose in WeHo. And, um, and he, he targets guys who look an awful lot like the bounty hunter. And, um, and so, uh, yeah, so I've, I've, uh, I've got that start, start, story completely outlined and I just don't, I've been waiting for the right time to write it, but, um, but oh yeah, oh, I would love to, I'd love to do that. Absolutely. Nice. And what's immediately coming up next? I know you're, you're going to be helping Jason film a movie this fall. Yeah, analysis paralysis. Yep, we're doing that at the end of October. Um, I'm, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of just feeling my way right now. You know, I'm, I'm, um, um, I'm going to be doing a. I think I'm going to do a couple of uh, troubleshooters short stories um, in the very near future. Um, and I'm think I'm going back and doing another installment in my Tall, Dark, and Dangerous series. That was my original SEAL series for um, Silhouette, but I'll be indie, indie pubbing that book. Um, that's, that is, that's kind of what's on my schedule right now. I'm having a little trouble concentrating in the current, like, world turmoil. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I know a lot of writers are, so it's, it's, um, it's tough. Cool. Well, Suzanne, thank you so much for coming back and hanging out with us and oh, giving us a little of your, your history of, of bringing gay characters into the romantic world, romance world. I think it's really important that mainstream authors um, um, push the edge of the envelope with um, with in, in all ways, in, in all ways, and just making the world more realistic in, in, in our books. Um, um, so I, so I think it's, I think it's really important to, to do that. So thank you for letting me talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks again to Suze for coming on and talking to us. Very much enjoyed that. Uh, she mentioned analysis paralysis, which is the movie they're shooting this fall. Uh, they have a Kickstarter up right now, uh, with lots of groovy things like the ability to have your name in the credits to get autographed books, whether it's the California comedy series from Jason and Ed or Suzanne Brockman books. Uh, there's opportunities to beta read. There was an opportunity to name a character in a book, but that got snapped up lickety split. <laughs> now, they've already uh, hit their goal, which they did in, in just a couple of days. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, well done. But they are still uh, taking on backers, and there's lots of groovy rewards. So give that a look. Yes. Go to kickstarter.com. That's Analysis Paralysis. Yeah, and we'll have the direct link to it in the show notes, of course. Yes, check it out. So, that'll do it for this week. Yes, it will. Uh, coming up next week in episode 103, Addison Albright is here as part of the 2017 GRL blog tour. Also, Lisa from The Novel Approach will talk about um, Band Book Week. Yes, I look... I look forward to her doing this. She was on the show talking about it last year. Mm -hmm. Great to have her back talking about the things that uh, the Novel Approach blog will be doing for that very important week. Indeed. Yes. Now, guys, remember, no matter where life takes you, the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book. So until next time, guys, keep turning those pages and keep reading. For detailed show notes and the complete episode backlist, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday on all major podcast distributors and YouTube. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. 